Welcome to this conversation with some ministry mentors uh, who are who are working with the Helping Pastors Thrive uh, initiative in North Carolina, part of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of North Carolina. My name is Eileen Campbell-Reed, and I've been working with this project for going on two years now. Is there a story or a question or a quote, something that just has been kind of sticking with you that you found in the book that you would like to to lift up for others uh, right now. Some of you have already given one of those kinds of examples, but I'd like to circle back through and see if there's a story, a question, or um, a quote perhaps that's standing out for you. And I'll let whoever's ready to just jump in. Yeah, Eileen, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll lead off saying that um, you've already I think either you said it or somebody else said it already that that your your book tries to deal with honestly with practicing ministry in which oftentimes things are difficult um, <laughs> or or pastors will find themselves um, almost in no-win situations. And so I really appreciate that sense of honesty. And one example that I thought was in, in your um, chapter on practicing resurrection. Mm. Where you where you just kind of dealt honestly that um, talking about resurrection today uh, is somewhat incompatible with the scientific world that we now live in, and so what does that mean to to preach or speak or teach about this concept in in today's world? And I think for ministers to really wrestle with that, rather than just deny that and kind of kind of run off on some some preaching tangents or teaching <laughs> tangents as if everybody still lives in this enchanted world, um, it, it was very helpful. I think so for, for new ministers particularly to wrestle with how do theological concepts that we hold dear to, how do they work in this scientific age? How do they work in this pluralistic um, society? Uh, where people from other other religions or no religion at all are interacting with our church members all the time. Um, so I think that's just one example of trying to really trying to struggle honestly with what does it mean to practice ministry today. Thank you. Great. What else? Somebody else. I don't have a quote for this yet, but the spirit in which the book is written and the timing in which the book is written. Um, resonated with, I, I'm trying to think about um, how it resonated with me in um, timing because uh, Tim knows this because we've worked together for a while, but I keep thinking about the fact that when Scott first asked me to lead this group, it was pre-pandemic, right? And so I was like, you know, I've been at this 20 years. I think I've got something to tell those, those little newbies and you know, <laughs> all this confidence. And I was like, you know, I, you know, I started thinking through the ways that I feel like maybe God had prepared me for this. And um, I, I've, this wasn't the first time I've mentored. I've mentored. We've had interns at church. Like Tim said, we've, we've even had people that we've ordained at our church. So I've watched them all the way through. So I had like all this confidence, right? And then the pandemic happened. And I told Tim, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to tell, I have anything to offer because I'm like, what do we do? 
we need a new website. I don't know how to build a website. We need to do, you know, all there was the whole tech world that needed to change for all of us. Even, you know, some some people in some of our groups in rural churches that were trying to figure out how to live stream, right? And so the timing, I, I mean, I think that's what I just keep thinking about. You published something and you were Again, I, I don't remember all the quotes, but I know that you were honest in the in the very, you know, just the preface, just saying, okay, so <laughs> this is where we are historically right now. And I know you're a historian, Eileen, um, and that matters. What the culture is doing right now matters. What the world, what we're enduring, I mean, even just in this last week, it, it informs how we, how we minister to people and how we guide the young ministers. So it's almost like you've given us some good touch points, but you've also said um, to, to folks like me that, I mean, it's okay that, you know, everything feels totally <laughs> unsettled in some ways, but there are some, there are still some touch points that we can, that we can look back to. So anyway, I, I don't know if I'm making myself clear or not, except that I feel like we do have to take into account. And I'm so glad that you did, that you didn't just put this out and, and it just, you know, be uh, void of the, the historical context that we're in, because we're just in the, in the middle of, and again, Tim knows that I'm thinking, I keep thinking what's next, not, not just the bad what's next, but what's next for our churches? Because I think we've we've highlighted in this time some <laughs> so many issues. And um, we, how many how many times have we used the word relational on this call already? The relationships that are broken, and I don't know how they will mend in some of our churches in some of our families. So anyway, taking all of that into account, I think it's just an interesting time to try to put some, some stepping stones out there because there is so much, you know, the positive is there's so much hopefulness that we could do better than what we've done in the midst of all these pandemics that we're in. But, but, but it also can be so frightening to somebody that never had, you know, the 20 years that I had, that at least I had gotten something <laughs> firm to stand on. And now folks are like, wait a minute, I didn't have it in seminary. And the church is not what y'all said it was going to be like at all. <laughs> so anyway, I think this, the spirit with which you wrote it, the time, noticing the timing, that's just so helpful. Yeah, well, it was just a gift of grace that it was I didn't even think that the contract was going to come through on the book because the pandemic started right about the time it was due. And uh, I didn't have time to think about it. I was trying to teach four seminary classes and keep my daughter at home and do homeschooling. And I, I just, you know, I didn't care. Whatever happened, happened. And then April Fool's Day, I got a contract. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm going to have to finish the book now. And what a great time to finish the book because we're living through the totally unprecedented moment of this global pandemic, which turned out to be revealing of another long-term chronic pandemic of racism uh, that results in all kinds of harms to health and economic well-being and human well-being. And uh, the stories were already there to address those concerns, but the framework, I was able, because of the timing, to give a framework that I hope puts both 
the the major what I call the twin pandemics into perspective of uh, <laughs> as I said to someone earlier today on Twitter I used to have to work hard to convince my seminary students that learning the practice of ministry was a matter of life and death I don't have to work hard at that anymore they know that the why the how you practice ministry makes a difference that's life or death to people you want to do it well you want to do it the best the spirit can guide you to do so uh it's a it is a very poignant time we are living through for those reasons and more um scott what about you did some other story or moment or quote stand out that you would like to point to well i'm, I'm not sure there's a there's one quote uh i'm, I'm just thinking of the the fullness of the of, of the book it just it it just reminds me of how you know i can just randomly open to a chapter and i find myself focusing in ways that i might not normally do mm. and um you know the, the over the course of time when i read through the book the first time and took the um took the opportunity to write in the journal or to journal some things down on certain chapters you know, what I found was a, a network of practices that came together that strengthened one another. In other words, it, I may have needed some work in a, a particular area and never thought about the next, never thought about the topic of the next chapter. There was, I'm trying to think of the one that uh, kind of completely surprised me because, you know, I, I skipped over it a couple of times and I, uh, then I went back to read it. And I spent more time thinking about that afterwards than I did any of the other chapters that I'd actually turned to. But again, these these work together and they uh, create this kind of um, uh, integration, I think, that for me was just really helpful to see. And, you know, ministry is so, uh, this pandemic has has just opened up all kinds of things. And one of the things I also appreciate about it, as I got through to the to the to the end of the book, and worked through it, was that I'm reminded again that ministry in this day and time is not about transactional, the transactional, nor about my technical competence, nor about the skills that I display. It's really about a certain kind of art. You know, when I wake up in the morning. How am I thinking? Not necessarily what I'm thinking about, but you know, as a pastor or as a minister, how am I thinking about these things? And we, I think we've, I think one of the dangers of the pandemic has been that so many of our pastors have spent time trying to uh, balance the ship or maintain what's going on. That the arts of ministry, those things that really take a lot of practice and dedication, that are often unseen. And they certainly don't show up on the annual reviews, mm -hmm. but they are life-changing. And there's an affirmation of those arts and our, our dedication of time and energy to them in this that I think is really helpful. And so one of the byproducts in reading it was, uh, reading this was to be able to say, you know what, I haven't thought about this in a while. And this has certainly not been valued in my ministry. But this 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 affirms something that uh, uh, you know whether it be listening, for example, what I mentioned earlier, uh, or certain aspects of pastoral care. Um, 
you know, it, to affirm the arts of ministry in our practice is definitely something we need to do more of today. And I think too many pastors are judged by things that anyone can do. I'm often telling my pastor, look, I, and she always thanks me for reminding her, but sometimes I remind her, look, we need you to do the things that we can't do for ourselves. I can run the camera. I can edit the software. You know, I can make sure all the doors are open on Sunday morning. I can drive the bus. But those arts of ministry take time and dedication. And again, they're often overlooked and underappreciated until you actually encounter them as someone in need. And so for me, the, 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 I, there's not really one quote or one chapter, but it just affirmed that for me. And uh, I think it, I think there's there's something to being able to affirm that for many of our pastors that yeah this is about this is about the arts of ministry mm. and uh, the value for those in a, in an age that doesn't really value a lot of those things. Mm. Thanks, Scott. Uh, what about you, Greg? Any any final thoughts from you about something else that stood out? You know, I feel like the um, the pastor at the funeral. And there are four pastors speaking, and the, the, the other three have already stolen all of my thunder. Uh, and and, and here, here are these three that have already stolen my thunder. Uh, but no, what came to my mind, actually, Eileen, was, you know, while I appreciated the stories that you shared about other people, what really made the book come alive for me, and maybe some of that was because I now know you. As yeah. a person, I, I really appreciated your personal stories yeah. and the transparency and the honesty with which you kind of named struggles and challenges and um, successes and, and joys and, and the sorrows and, you know, everything in between of ministry. Uh, I, I thought that <laughs> made the book come alive. It was very rich. Uh, and again, uh, you know, I think it would have come alive even if I did not know you personally, but yeah given the fact that I've had, um, what is it now, two years, uh, coming up on two years of, of uh, knowing you through the uh, Helping Pastors Thrive initiative. Uh, I, I just really welcome that. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I was, it's not that I didn't appreciate the stories about others, but I was always on the lookout for a story about you. <laughs> and, and, and that was just, I, I love that. Thank you for being so honest and open and transparent in that way. Sure. I, I, you're welcome. And, you know, I, I got to a moment where the the manuscript was nearly done and I was kind of looking through the whole thing and I was like, you know, actually a lot more of my own stories ended up here than I was aiming for. That wasn't exactly what I was planning. I was really planning a book about sharing research, but that's the reality, right? We can't not be part of what we're doing when we're in ministry. We can't well, well and, and sharing your story gave it credibility Yeah, uh, because it, it, it demonstrated you, you've been in the trenches yeah. like everyone else. And, and you haven't always had success. <laughs> you know, no, you're hardly <laughs> like the rest. Of, you know, you're a human being like us. And uh, and, and that really made it um, meaningful to me. Yeah, I've nearly set my robe on fire. I've had leaky uh, <laughs> waiters in the uh, baptism baptismal pools. I, yeah, 
I've, I've done, yeah, failed to go when the people called and someone had died. I, I've, I've done the things that new ministers do. And it was uh, somewhat cathartic, I guess, to, you know, I, I'd written about a lot of it before, but um, not in a book. So that was, I'm glad it was, uh, I'm glad that that connected for you. Uh, I, I appreciate hearing that. Um, I'm just really grateful for all of you. Do you have any questions you want to ask of each other or anything else about the, the concept or the, uh, the, con the many topics of the book? Just anything uh, in closing that any of you want to offer? I, I have something I, I kind of want to name for you and for the group. Um, I love listening to the Sunday morning news shows, but I never get to hear them because <laughs> I have other responsibilities on Sunday morning. But within the last two weeks, uh, I heard a replay of a Sunday morning uh, political you know, talk show, and the um, interviewer was speaking with a lady in the political world who, was, who is retiring. And she had a long history of working in political campaigns and in uh, some presidential and congressional administrations. And the interviewer asked her, she said, you know, given the fact that you're a woman, did you have, and, and, and the time in which you came along, you know, women were not always accepted in the political world. Did you have a mentor? And she said, you know, I'm not really high on mentorship. Mm. And, the, and the interviewer says, well, explain what mentorship is. And she says, well, I really believe in sponsorship. Mm -hmm. And she said, so what's the difference? And the, um, the lady who was retiring said, well, being a mentor means that, you know, I encourage you. I give you advice when you ask for it. I'm there for you. Um, but sponsorship is more than just giving advice. It's more than being the wailing. I think she used the term being the wailing wall when something doesn't go wrong. Sponsorship means that I advocate for you, right. that, that I support you and, and I you know, create opportunities for you. So, so I, I guess I'm kind of wondering if, um, if, if good mentorship doesn't also include sponsorship, mm -hmm. that we not only listen and provide that space and that uh, welcoming presence for people to work through their questions and their issues and help them to find, you know, their own answers versus our answers. But is it not maybe opportunities in which we actively advocate for them and, and, and help them to, to maybe move to another place of ministry or to, you know, help in some other shape, form or fashion. So I, I guess I kind of wanted to throw that out because uh, I thought that was a really interesting distinction between the two. Yeah. You know, I really learned about the difference in those two when I entered into the uh, world of academia, I didn't learn so much about sponsorship in the church. Um, uh, it, and my mentors in church were, um, I had some, uh, they were more informal, uh, not, a, I didn't have a mentor. Uh, you know, I was coming along as a woman in ministry where most of us were isolated from each other. And so I recruited friends that I knew I could, who were basically at the same sort of stage of growth and learning as I was. And we would get together periodically and have a retreat or just sit all day and talk or get on the phone together. This was before we could do internet kinds of connecting. Um, <clears throat> but when I became a, uh, was in the process of uh, getting my PhD and I learned about sponsorship, all the things you just said totally were part of that definition. 
And I think the, that's the way I see my own mentoring of new ministers now. Um, I see myself as their advocate when they need it. I don't unnecessarily jump into things they didn't ask me to. I try not to. That's a savior mentality, and I'm not interested in that. Uh, but I've, I've helped many a person um, walked with them as they've looked for new calls, uh, been the reference for them many times, and been uh, the person who listens to the the hard questions they're asking about is it time to make a move or is it time to confront somebody in the church or is it time to you know there's those hard questions and becoming an advocate for them mostly through empowering them but also when appropriate um speaking up on their behalf in various ways and uh it's it's a delicate balance right to leave the empowerment on the person who's who's you're working with uh that's the most important advocacy and mentoring we can do is to empower them there are times when they need someone to, so i speak on their behalf when i say hey you know i know this person who's would be really great at this thing and have you considered that they might be the person you're looking for in this church job you know uh i see that's part of my networking and sponsorship role and i'm only answering for myself because i don't want to make blanket statements for other people but it's definitely something i incorporate into uh, my work as a mentor um, is a kind of sponsorship and it is especially important for women because generally speaking men have a sponsorship that sort of appears from the outset uh, i encourage everybody men women people who are uh, uh, gender non-binary anybody to recruit the mentors you need don't wait for somebody to come along who's the perfect mentor none of us are perfect uh, take time to go out and say that person is really one of the finest preachers and i have a connection with them so i'm going to ask them to to walk with me in my preaching i, I call it mentoring for skill in the book you choose a particular thing that someone's really good at and you ask them to help you with that thing and then you're not waiting on them to save you or be the all be all and end all but they can help you with a very specific thing the relationship grows up around that and uh, other good things will come of it but i think it's really helpful to ask people specifically to help you with particular skills uh, and be your mentor in whatever the thing is it might be preaching but it also might be uh in how to um you know you you land in a church where they're starting a building project for goodness sakes you need to find some other pastors who've walked through that <laughs> to get you through it uh because you're probably not gonna know a lot about a building project that's just one example of hundreds right uh, so mentoring for skill and recruiting that mentor that you need or the sponsor that you need uh i i I think that's possible and I've certainly had people recruit me to be that for them. Uh, can't say yes to everybody, but we, we can be open to it. Um, anyone else uh, have a question or a new idea you want to throw out there? Well, a question I have, Eileen, is about <clears throat> the importance of intergenerational mentors. Hmm. You know, if I were left to my own devices, I'd probably pull together people my age who went to seminary at the same time, maybe even create a peer learning group of people that are kind of in my generation. And I mean, that's just a natural kind of tendency, but I, I always find 
I don't know. I always find great benefit in younger and older. Now that now that where I'm in life, there, there's just something about that that we don't naturally draw to. And one of the great gifts, it seems to me, of the church is that it's one of the few places in our culture where we can actually live intergenerationally and build relationships and commitments. It's just, we just don't do that in any other aspect of our lives. So you might just speak a little bit about the importance of this, this intergenerationalism that's often lacking um, to mentoring. And I, I guess part of me is confessing too that I'm older and want to be relevant, but, but I, I do think there's some value there. I mean, I've learned so much from Greg uh, and so much from so many others who uh, are no longer, even those that aren't with, no longer with us that just seem to be so instrumental to the way I think about things and do things. So I don't know, that's, that's a question I have. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm actually not 100% sure in this moment, but I think I make that point in the book that the church is one of the few remaining places in our culture where you can be related to people of every age and stage of life in a community where you can build trust and be together. And so there's a kind of just, um, it's not just mentoring, but a, a culture of uh, believing in each other accompanying each other, giving each other a lot of grace to learn and not always get everything right, and to take risks and responsibility for those risks. What I just described is the basis of adult human learning. And if we have cultures where that's possible, then you know we can lean on each other for all kinds of things uh, across ages and across expertise. And my own congregations like that, we have such amazing people who are in every different kind of profession for a small congregation. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we, we have a dream team of doctors and epidemiologist types, and we have a, another, we have a huge deep bench of people who can preach and do pastoral care. And we have tons of teachers. And when you have people who bring all that kind of expertise into a community, uh, you know, you can become, those places can become churches that teach and churches that support new ministers without expecting them to already have it all together when they arrive. Uh, that's why we almost always have two or more pastoral interns at our church because it's we've cultivated, uh, our pastors have helped us cultivate a sense of being a, a teaching congregation. Uh, it's kind of mutual mentoring or peer mentoring all the time uh, and trusting each other. So I, I think that it's a, you're moving toward a communal question, you know, a communal kind of response to this and it is certainly something that I hope and pray and I really trust that we won't lose in this pandemic moment whatever however long this moment lasts I hope that sense of community uh, will be will continue to put our energy and effort into maintaining it because it does it can't be duplicated really anywhere else hardly in society right now um, there may be a few neighborhoods there may be a few schools or something, but religious communities are the places where we most have the cross-generational uh, possibility of trust and growth. And, uh, and and it's worth putting our energy and effort into maintaining that, even if we have to do it virtually for a bit of time. So that's what I can think to say about it right now. <laughs> well, this has been a lovely conversation. Uh, I deeply appreciate the 
gifts and skills and pastoral imagination that each of you bring to your work and to the mentoring that you do. And um, we need plenty of people who will keep working for the time of, of, uh, of their own lives, you know, staying committed to a, a vocation like ministry. It's tremendously challenging <laughs> and to do it over time and then be able to give those gifts back um, to the generations that are coming after us. Um, it is a tremendous gift. And I end the book uh, with a chapter about joy. And uh, I, what I sense in all of you is that you have found a source of joy in living a vocation of ministry. And I'm, I'm, I'm the beneficiary today of your joy and many younger and newer, not always younger, but newer ministers uh, are also benefiting from that. And I hope that um, you'll just continue to lean into your vocations uh, as you move, as we all get through this very difficult time. Um, what a gift that you each are in the world, and I'm great.